Today's reading is taken from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. The rich young man. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Mary, for what you shared as well. I've been a long-standing supporter of Beesham going back, I don't know, 20 years or so, served um, at the main depot, I've done various projects, and it's just a great organisation, so I really, really do commend it to us all. So, this morning, as we've heard, we're talking about stewardship, and uh, we're looking today at the topic more generally, and then next week we're going to provide much more specific information about St Paul's and what we hope to do in the next year. Does that, does that make sense? So, general terms today, preparing the ground, next week much more detail, and uh, Jeff will be preaching next week as well. So I want to say also thank you to everyone who already gives very generously. Um, We wouldn't be here without you. 
And uh, I also uh, want to say that today is a prayers for healing service. So there will be an opportunity uh, for prayer, both here at the front in response to the sermon and also for healing at the back of the church somewhere among the banana boxes. So I'm going to pray now and then we'll get underway with the sermon. Father God, thank you that you give us resources. Thank you that you honour us with being your stewards, being responsible for what you give us. That you give us the ability to discern what you are doing in the world and the prompting of your spirit to get alongside that and play our part. Uh, And I pray that you'd help each of us to understand more this morning what that means for us. To, To steward wisely what we've been entrusted with and to find the joy and excitement and purpose of being your vehicle in the growth of your kingdom here in this place. So please do that in our hearts and our minds today, Lord, we pray. Amen. So I want to start with a less important topic, though albeit one that's a little painful for me. What has happened to my football team? (laughs) Everything was so positive. Uh, We've got a huge, magnificent new stadium starting uh, this season. A really good season last year, some great players added to by some more good players this summer. And... uh, We had qualified for Europe. All we had to do was just beat two Eastern European uh, obscure matches, which we were very uh, heavily tipped to do, and we would begin the Europa League, going to some of the most glamorous stadiums in Europe. I'd actually, uh, so excited about this, I had persuaded my wife to go with me to one of these away games, as as long as it fulfilled certain criteria about temperature and things like that. So I was thinking, you know, Inter Milan away, something like that, Seville. Um, However, we had to get through these two uh, very easy fixtures against obscure Eastern European teams. The club itself was so confident that that would happen, they issued these T-shirts, which you can see on the screen. West Ham European Tour produced many tens of thousands of them. And yep, you've guessed it. (laughs) We failed to get through. They've now got, I don't know, 40,000 of these T-shirts gathering dust in some warehouse in Europe. And the club, once again, are the laughing stock online um, on the social media uh, where they belong. So that's West Ham. But it did create a familiar experience in me, which I'm sure any England football fan would recognise as well. When you're just fed up with yet another disappointment after your hopes have risen, and yet when it comes to it, you're let down. And I don't know about you, but at the end of any disappointment like that, I vow to myself I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to emotionally invest. I'll hold it lightly. I'll choose not to watch. I'll try and support the opposition instead. (laughs) Because I know it doesn't do me any good. Now, it's a familiar scenario that can actually be applied to any obsession or interest or, or excessive desire that we know isn't good for us. And all of us struggle with some of them. And actually all of them ultimately let us down. Success, for example, many people strive for that, but at some point will fail. Power, many strive for that, but at some point someone will take that power from you. Image, we desperately want a good image, and yet none of us are going to look any younger than we do now. Men, you're not going to get any more hair, except possibly nasal hair. But (laughs) (laughs) Outward beauty fades, And some of us didn't have much of it in the first place, certainly not me. 
Now, I know people who struggled with one or more of those things. And in the end, they've got to the point where they've said, enough is enough. I've got to let go of my obsession with that thing or those things. But here's my question to start today. Has anyone ever tried that with money? No one's putting up their hand. Maybe some have. But basically, I think we naturally tell ourselves it's not in the same category. We need money. Desiring money is not a dangerous thing, unlike those other uh, things I mentioned. Enjoying money is just enjoying life. It's what our parents worked for to give us. It's what we worked for. It's what we're all doing. It's what's best for our children. It's what we deserve. And after all, if we put a biblical gloss on it, it's what Proverbs promise us. Well, maybe if you don't look at the small print, but you get the picture. A wealthy lifestyle is simply enjoying the logical consequence of our own hard work and talent. It's a comfortable, convenient, and all-too-commonplace Christian point of view. And then for the last three years, there's been this man. You recognise him? (laughs) Elected in 2013, has obviously some problems with his hearing, but has had an extraordinary impact. And he immediately set about giving off a very different message, eschewing virtually every trapping of his status, living ridiculously simple, simply, speaking out against extreme materialism, excess and injustice, at every turn, and already loved around the world because of it. I cannot remember ever having a Pope with such a popular image across the world. Now, who's right? Is he just just an elderly, lovable eccentric, trying to send a coded message to his indulgent Vatican bureaucrats? Or is he a prophet speaking to an unhealthily consumerist world? And then we have this man. Jesus, who was even more popular, great teaching, great miracles, great on exposing religious hypocrisy, great emotional intelligence, great empathy and compassion, great sense of timing, great on keeping it real, but on money, ouch, a bit of a loose cannon, a bit idealist, a bit heavy-handed. He went just a little bit too far. And here's the thing. It wasn't just the occasional little slip, was it? He talked about it all the time. Was this his Achilles heel, the subject his disciples tried to constantly keep him away from, a bit like Donald Trump's advisors with Islam or gender or immigration or guns or foreign policy or the process of government or himself or his family? Oh, no, anyway, that's enough. (laughs) Let's admit it. This passage is a classic example, isn't it, of Jesus in that it appears reckless uh, sense on his Achilles heel causing him trouble. Because here he is pursuing an itinerant ministry with a staff team of 12 and no obvious source of income. Apart from brief moment of promise with some loaves and some fishes, but then he gave it all away anyway. And he's confronted here by an eager, wealthy, powerful, well-connected young man who runs up to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a no-brainer, surely. A blank check, if ever I saw one. I know what Howard would do. (laughs) This was one potential disciple you really didn't want to turn down. And Jesus blows it. He drives him away with demands that seem so far beyond what was necessary. So what do we do when Jesus seems to have done that? 
Do we ignore the passage and pretend it's not there? No. Instead, we need to explore the passage and try and get beneath the surface, asking, is there a reason for why he says what he says? And might the reason actually also provide the insight, the challenge, and the inspiration that we need? So that's what we're going to do. And I want to say something at this point about how Jesus operates in these sorts of conversational um, situations. He rarely gives the answer we expect, does he? Let's be honest. He rarely actually answers the question he's asked, a bit like a politician in that sense. He always tackles the underlying spiritual issues of the person he's talking to. Now that is important. And love for that person is always the motivation. And this passage actually tells us that, doesn't it, in verse 21. And that's vital to remember when we're tempted to think that he's gone too far or been too insensitive. No, he simply knows what this man needs more than the man himself needs, just as he does, of course, you and me. So what Jesus does in response to the man's question is to tell him two vital things that he needs to know. First of all, that you can't actually do anything to inherit eternal life. He's ripping up the assumptions behind the man's question. Why? Because you can't perfectly fulfill the law. That's why he says no one is good except God alone. Only God himself come down to earth could fulfill the law. So think again about your assumption, young man, that you can earn God's favour. And then secondly, instead, eternal life is a gift that only God can give. You can't earn it. It can only be given. And that's what's on offer here from Jesus, as the rest of his other teaching made clear. And of course, by implication, by making this point, Jesus is saying effectively, oh, And by the way, do you know who I am? Do you know what I can offer you? Do you know what I will do for you? The rest of the New Testament tells us exactly what. And yet still, the young man doesn't get it. So Jesus gives him a bit more help. He states six of the Ten Commandments. But why only six? Well, the answer comes, it's actually displayed here, when we divide them into two categories. First of all, those that relate to how we treat other people and those which relate to how we treat to God. So you can see the two categories. And the man side there, they're the ones that Jesus actually quotes from in the answer that he gives. He lists all six of those uh, commandments on the man side of the equation. The rich young man would have known that. He would have known the scriptures And Jesus quite deliberately leaves the ones on the other side out of his list, conspicuous by their absence. And what's at the top of the ones he doesn't use, he doesn't read? Do not worship any other gods. Do not make any idols. Are we getting the hint? But still the man isn't there yet. He wants a pat on his back, so he says, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And it's here where Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him because he sees the earnestness of the man but he also sees his tragic captivity Jesus said one thing you lack go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven 
then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. But he also went away clear about his idol. He was now aware of what he was trapped by. And let's be honest, he was going to remember that for the rest of his life. And who knows, maybe one day he did turn back on his wealth when he realized it didn't satisfy him and found the one thing he was actually truly longing for. But that's not the end of the story for us, is it? Just as it wasn't for the disciples, we're all still left asking, what about us? Where does it leave us? For we don't have to give up everything for Jesus, do we? And it's here that we need to nail this issue of what idolatry really is. The commandment says, you shall have no other God before me. And what is another God? It's anything that we put before the one true God. It's anything that we say we have to have. It's anything that we see as non-negotiable. It's anything that limits us so that we cannot fully follow his will for our lives. And here's the crunch. If we have anything that does that, it's a massive problem. So how do we know if we do? By asking ourselves a question like this. Are you willing to ask God what he wants you to give away? Or do you prefer not to ask the question because you don't want to hear the answer? Well, here's another question. What would you be most upset about if it didn't happen next year? Is it something you hope to buy? A new car, a new kitchen, a new sofa? Is it a new job, a new house, a promotion, a bonus? Or is it that you fail to see God grow his kingdom through you? Or that, he, or that you fail to even once in, effectively share your faith? Or that you fail to get closer to God or encourage someone else to get closer to him? Or that you fail to maintain even where you are? Or even that you fail to get closer to your own family? Pause a moment. What's your answer? I could stop the sermon there in the sense that if the answer is closer to the former than the latter, you do have an idol. And yet that's probably the case for the vast majority, if not all of us in this room. If not now, it will have been recently or it soon will be in the future. Because it's endemic in our materialistic culture and we need to do something drastic about it this morning. That's the thing you need to take away from this sermon in two senses. It's the thing to remember and reflect on and pray into. But it also, of course, is the thing you need to take away. Get rid of it. Cut it out. Lay it down. And that means to say to God, I don't need it anymore. Which doesn't mean you don't need to head down to the bank and the estate agents tomorrow, close your accounts, sell your house and give it all to St. Paul's. I mean, you're, you're welcome to, obviously. But what I actually mean is that you say to God, I don't need this anymore. I'm willing to be entrusted with it by you rather than thinking of myself still in charge of it. And I want to use it for your glory. I don't want to have to have it anymore. I want to hold it lightly now. And I want you to tell me what to give, not me to tell you what I'm willing to give. And I'm no longer going to kid myself that the next holiday or the next kitchen or the next promotion is what truly satisfies in life because I know it doesn't. And I want to look instead 
to you to satisfy me, to find my hope, meaning, purpose and joy in you. So, finally, how does giving to church come into this? Well, of course, there are many other wonderful Christian causes that minister God's love to the world. We've already heard about two, Bezum, Samara's aid, this morning. But across the world and throughout human history, the primary way that God has chosen to grow his kingdom is through the local church. And God knows how he can grow his kingdom in every local context far better, actually, than we do. And it does cost money, which we seek to always spend as efficiently as possible. And I just want to say to you that we in the leadership of St. Paul's take that very seriously, that God knows what's best. And there is no decision that we take about what we do or how we deploy our resources where we don't seek his guidance time and time again on what's right, what will bring the growth that he's calling us to, what will bring through the next generation and bring in children, young people, younger adults or families and ensure that long-term future for St. Paul's. But also what will continue to attract older people, people liking more traditional worship. And the nine o'clock service is such an important part of how we propose and pray that we can do that. So when we bring our aspirational budget to you next week, it will be our direct response to what we prayerfully discern God has been leading us to. So bear that in mind. We'll explain more then. But just know that we believe we're calling each of us to play our part in what God is calling us to do here, which will bring in the next harvest, the next season of growth that he longs to see here. John Rockefeller, one of the richest men in American history, was once asked, how much money is enough money? Just a little bit more, he replied. That's what we need to be set free from, the relentless desire for wealth that is never satisfied, not even for him, the richest man of his generation. So what do you want to be the most important thing in your life? The excitement of being the person God called you to be, playing your part in the growth of his kingdom? Is it joyful time spent with your physical family and your church family, being part of a thriving, growing church? with people coming to faith and spiritual revival in so many other people's lives. Children's, youth ministry, young adult ministry flourishing and our own individual ministry flourishing, whatever that might be. So we need to have a balance in our lives, a balance between what we spend and what we give. And for those who are single or in a Christian relationship, I'd really advocate tithing. 10% is how people uh, understand that. It's the Bible's answer to the question, what is a good balance? But if that's not something you can do because of your financial circumstances or your marital situation or any other reason, that's absolutely fine. But I still encourage you, though, to give something because spiritually this can be so significant and it will bless you as you bless others. Equally, For others, there will be other ways that you can give time, skills, leadership, service. That may be how God is calling you to respond to what he is doing in this church. So, 
Next week, Jeff is going to talk much more about the blessings of giving and all of the effects that come from that. But I want to just lead us now into a time of response and encourage us all to stand and the band just to come up as well at this point. I want to just read two prophetic words that were shared before the service from the Prayers for Healing team. The first is a a verse on 1 Timothy 1. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I wonder whether that self-discipline aspect is one that's relevant to some of us today. And here's the second. It's all right. I want to challenge you but I love you very much. And an encouragement there to listen for the still small voice in the busyness and storms of life. So today we're coming back to the fundamental question, who are we serving? And are we going to make the most important thing, the most important thing for us again, or indeed for the first time? So we've got a team of people who are willing to pray. Uh, We have the prayers for healing team at the back. Then we've got those who are willing to pray at the front. Can I ask those who are willing to pray just to come over to the corners here and uh, then you're ready as and when people come forward. So why don't we just take a moment just to invite God's spirit just to be fully present among us so that we know whatever we feel prompted to do is of him and that we are open to him. So let's just invite him now. Father, Would you come, Holy Spirit? Fill us with your spirit now. Fill our bodies, fill our hearts, fill our minds. Would you just sweep away anything that's not of you, that's distracting us? Spirit, would you just melt away any fears or anxieties that we might have? Holy Spirit, would you just touch us with that sense of your love and your presence now? Come, Holy Spirit.